Welcome to the Make Music Income Podcast with Stephen Bedall of the Production Music Academy and me, Eric Copeland of Make Music Income. In this podcast, we'll talk about our experiences in music licensing as music artists with online channels, our publishing and royalty incomes, and our combined over 40 years experience as music producers for hire. So let's get started with today's episode. So last Wednesday, I posted my discussion with the audio and video curation team at Motion Array uh, on my YouTube channel. And there was a lot of useful information there for anyone who's interested in applying and even some great advice for those who are already in the library. Uh, There was one small aspect of that discussion which I thought was particularly interesting. And it's something that we didn't get into all that much, but I'd like to explore it a bit more uh, on today's episode. Uh, One of the questions I asked them, of course, was what they were looking for uh, in an ideal applicant. And one of the first things they mentioned was organic content. So tracks that aren't entirely in the box, as they say. In other words, real instruments uh, and, and vocals, for example, I thought that this response was very revealing and on point with today's licensing licensing trends, uh, which I think are moving away from the you know the dinky, lifeless. This took twenty minutes to put together kind of sound, and has really evolved towards a denser, more sophisticated, and intricate production quality, uh, which often features human performances. This isn't just the case for Motion Ray and Artlist. Uh, as you know, we move into the age of AI and, and it becomes easier and easier to make music, we have to ask ourselves, what value are we bringing to the table? Uh, what, are you, what are we doing to set ourselves apart from all the other composers who are using the same tools, the same uh, virtual instruments and the same samples? Uh, so welcome to uh, this episode of the Make Music Income podcast. This is episode 55. And uh, yeah, today we're just going to be exploring this idea a bit further. But uh, before we do, uh, as always, hello, Eric. How are you? And uh, how's your week been? <laughs> welcome to episode 55 of the Make Music Income podcast. Did you already say that? I did. <laughs> I think I said it. I don't know. I don't know if in your Eric Copeland opening you did. I, I tried to do a very Eric Copeland style opening there. <laughs> Let me know how, um, how it was. I, I am doing great, man. Um, just uh, just working on a lot of things. Our masterminds are going along uh, very well and, and a lot of fun uh, because it's it's in one sense it's kind of like what we do here on the podcast, except it's private. And so we can really delve into a lot of things we can't necessarily say publicly, just like you and I have private conversations. Wouldn't you like to know out there, <laughs> audience, what we can Steve talk about offline? But um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's been good. A lot of stuff going on besides just work and, and client work, but also uh, in library world, um, I, I have. Uh, a new the library that I work with is doing a lot of briefs now, and so I've I've I sent a dramedy uh, track into a brief, and I'm getting ready to send a, another kind of track into another one of their briefs. And unlike uh, you know other places that offer briefs and then you have to pay for play or whatever, this is going directly to the library owner. So you're getting you know yeah. it's a brief to my library like directly. He says this is what I need, and you send it to him. He says thanks. I'll I'll take it. And you know there's no there's nothing in between, uh, so that works really cool. And uh, then I just finished uh, an album for a brand new library that uh, is going to be my first album on this library. And um, 
pretty good deal, like a three-year deal, not a not a, a so maybe it's a five-year deal, but it's it's not a perpetuity deal. Okay. Uh, even it's a standard 50-50 kind of deal, but um, but not per- perpetuity. So that's kind of cool. So the possibility of getting tracks back if they're not used is always a, a, an interesting thing, I think, in contracts. Um, but I'm delivering this full percussion album soon and uh, just getting it done and signing the contracts and getting all my information set with the library and all that kind of stuff, beginning stuff with them. So that's pretty cool. And uh, then I have a really interesting thing that's developing from a motion array download. Oh, yeah. A documentary that somebody is doing using one of my songs. And they contacted me because they, they were concerned because there was PRO information on the motion array listing. Mm-hmm. And so they said, I want to make sure I don't run into any things because it's a non- nonprofit type of documentary that we're doing. But we're using this one song of yours. And it's pretty cool. It has a lot of emotional meaning for me because I wrote it for my mom and uh and her wedding and so as it turns out i said sure just go ahead and use it i just show me the i'd love to see the documentary when you get done with it and uh he said hey you know what i'm actually in orlando and so uh why don't we meet up and get lunch so we're gonna have lunch tomorrow and he's gonna show me some of the some of the early documentary footage so kind of neat little motion array story we we since this is the make music income podcast we like we like to talk about income but there's so many other things around the income that are that are cool that are part of this. And it, I was also just looking at my identify the other night and I realized, you know, one of the great things about identify is to be able to see your videos like you talked about in your, in your motion array video and, and how they're being used. And yeah, said, and it's instant portfolio. It's like you could take those links and use them on your site to show people what other people are using your music for and yeah. boom. And, and we're going to talk about that today, but you know, uh, I just I, I realized that maybe the power of identify is not how much it pays me, but in what it shows me that is being done with my music. And so maybe whether you make income, a lot of income or a little income with it, with all any of these things, there's other things that can happen yeah. with your songs. But I thought that was pretty cool. And then so now that all these things are kind of done, uh, these these like uh, albums, I just turn my country album in. I'm getting ready to turn in this uh, percussion one and then I, I'm open now I can really start to concentrate on new albums which is always fun and and choose what next I'm going to work on and probably won't do a full album right away it seems like libraries are liking me to send them a handful of songs in a, in a genre and say hey are you interested in this which is faster too like by I mean, a, ha- a handful you mean like three to five kind of thing three to five and yeah. say and so they see you have the ability to do three to five of that style and they go oh yes we we we, we would have a use for this go ahead yeah. and create the full 10. so um that's a, probably a, a good way to go and i've heard people talk about that clint talks about that before you know about sending only five i know jesse recommends 10 because he says hey when they see it they know there's 10 songs and they're ready to go and it's fast well it might be but um, this is a way i think to get started a little quicker on on an album idea yeah and then find out if the library needs it before you work on 10 songs and then can't find anybody to to take it which i've had happen before where I've done ten great songs I thought were awesome, but no library bid on the entire ten song album. I end up, you know, putting a song over here and a song over here and a song over here. So yeah, interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. Artlist is the same way. They only want like three. You know, like they they prefer smaller submissions just because you know, they say that it's easier for them to market it that way. Cool. Yeah, yeah. And, and and actually, my library is talking about that too. They're looking for a lot of. This is another thing you brought up yesterday. Artist submissions that are artists. Like artists already artists yes. already on Spotify, already have followings of some kind, and then they are um, they are 
doing and they want EPs. They don't want full albums, just an yeah. EP of, yeah. of of an artist. And that that kind of thing is is getting popular with libraries now, as you found out in your interview. Yeah, absolutely. So, what's been your week like? Well, uh, things. Yeah, things are good here. Um, I'm finally all set up in the studio. Um, just, yeah, in a happy place, working my butt off on music and uh, working on new content pretty much like every day. Uh, I'm getting back into my exercise routine, uh, just feeling good and, uh, and, and feeling productive. Uh, I'm racing to finish two Artlist Originals projects by the end of this week um, and also have the new trailer music course um, ready to go, hopefully ready to go by February 1st. That's my target right now. I'm a little overdue on that one. Uh, and the members of the Academy have been very patient with me. So thanks guys for, um, for understanding. It's been, uh, you know, chaotic the last few weeks for sure. Um, so speaking of the Academy, this, the, the, the challenge in the Academy, uh, for January is to write a product demo for any virtual instrument, basically of your choice, uh, which I think is, is a great way to promote your work and, and make connections, by the way. Uh, it's something I haven't done um, enough of, um, done it a bit, but uh, yeah, I decided to write a, a demo for the Hearth and Hollow library. I'm not sure if you heard of that yeah, one. Hearth and Hollow, it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Amazing library. Uh, it's being sold, like the full version's being sold through Spitfire um, Audio, but there is a, a free version on the Piano Book website. Uh, highly recommend going to check that out. Um, and that's where the, I first heard of it, actually. So uh, I'm actually encouraging the, the Academy members to write a demo for a Piano Book library because just because they're such a supportive community, um, they've already posted the demo that I sent them to their SoundCloud account, uh, which is really, really nice of them. Um, and yeah, you can go check that out if you want. It's on the, um, on the Hearth and, and Hollow uh, library page on the Pianos, uh, Piano Book site. Uh, the track is called uh, Perpetual Motion. Um, and uh, yeah, one of the other Academy members also chose to make a demo for the same uh, same library and they, they posted his work too. So yeah, big shout out to, uh, to Gary for doing that, it's great. Uh, and I'm really excited to hear what everyone else um, has come up with. So that'll be fun. The live stream showcase for that is on February, uh, Wednesday, February 1st. Um, yeah, otherwise I'm gonna try to get back in. <laughs> I, I, I hope that, I know I keep saying this, but I'm gonna try to get back into the YouTube's YouTube shorts game and <laughs> with no yeah, real game plan, uh, I'm going to try and film something today and just get, try to be creative and have fun. I still believe that uh, in, you know, that vertical short content can have a huge impact on growth, wh whether you're, it's on Instagram or, or YouTube, uh, we'll have to do another episode on it at some point in the future when I have more to talk about, but I only have one attempted short. I don't think it actually worked out to be a short, um, Anyway, it's hard enough to make regular videos, as you know. Uh, so I don't know. We'll see how much I can get done with that. Um, uh, watch out for uh, yeah. Keep an eye out tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow for a short. We'll see how it goes. Okay. Um, lastly, these uh, Spotify continues to climb for me. I'm, I'm yet again at an all-time high of about twelve thousand five hundred monthly listeners, which is cool. And um, I did a bit of digging into it. For some reason that I don't fully understand. Uh, the vast majority of my listeners now, all of a sudden, are are based in India. Uh, the top four cities uh, are all Indian cities, so uh, Delhi and, and Mumbai at the top. Um, and this is awesome, but I'm I'm kind of struggling Arco. to. to uh, I'm, yeah, it's the word. <laughs> it's Arco putting in a good word for us. Uh, I, I'm kind of struggling to figure out exactly why this is, but I I actually. 
Um, I wonder if it's potentially because Artlist is is going hard on promotions in in India and looking to kind of tap into that um, you know huge market. Because um, originally I thought it was my potentially because of my collab uh, track I did with my friend Mensage, who's also an Artlist contributor and he lives in Delhi. Um, and uh, our track is doing reasonably well on Artlist. We put it on Artlist and, and, and Spotify is doing okay as well, but I wouldn't say it's that it's doing so well that it would justify this huge influx of, of monthly listeners from India specifically. And I wasn't added to any playlists you know, lately either. So it's kind of, it's sort of mysterious, but I, I'm stoked on it. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's been my week. So um, it's been a good week. Yeah. Okay. Well, where, which way are we going to start with this? Um, let's kind of talk about the topic of the day. Well, let's talk. Let's, I think that you should maybe, I mean, you know, the, the listeners here have heard you speak about um, the, you know, your experience with working with like Nashville uh, performers quite a bit. Um, like, I think you're a great example of, of a music producer who, who like works outside of the box in the sense that you, you've, you know, you've had a lot of experience hiring performers. Uh, a lot of the tracks that you send to, to your libraries have a lot of organic content in them, like vocals and stuff like that. Um, and I think that this is something that you, you do, you've just been doing for a long time uh, this way. And, uh, you know, I think th- that you've seen some success with this approach. Like, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, generally when music is made, um, and I'm talking any kind of style other than, than say hip hop, but even hip hop is gonna have live vocals in it, but uh, any kind of music that is made for the radio, let's just say, or Spotify in this case, uh, now that nowadays, it's, it's a lot of times made with people and multiple people. It's not just generated out of a DAW by one person. Yeah. There are players. Like for instance, when I was in Nashville and before Nashville, but when I did my work before I moved there from Kentucky, I would I would hire real musicians to play the band parts and um and because uh, pop music requires more than just programming. It requires actual players, actual singers, and people want that organic sound. And it's not surprising to me that motion array art list, any, anything like that, or that the libraries that I'm sending stuff to want really high quality stuff played by players. And the reason I moved to Nashville was because of the players and because of the engineers there and the, the multiple people that I brought in. Here's the word I want to just say, that's the most important word of this podcast probably, is dimensional. There is nothing that creates yes. dimension in a mix like multiple or real playing on tracks because it takes away this just this keyboard programmy stuff that we can do now there are masters at that and when you use stuff like hearth and hollow like you're talking about that 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 library it's got such a a, a, a an acoustic sound to it i mean just pressing one button can make this a world of of different sounds happen and that are triggered and all this kind of stuff yeah but even that can get repetitive even that can get um you know you have to really work with samples, we, we were listening to some horns earlier today and, and they sound great until they don't for just a second. And then they sound that you could tell it's not real. And I think, um, but there's just something to real drums, real bass player, real guitars. Guitars is the biggie. The guitars is the probably the biggest one. Totally, yeah. And then real piano, real organ, real whirly, real, um, real instruments that are being played in the studio by a human 
uh, there's just no creating that the same by yourself. Even though I can play really convincing drums, really convincing bass parts, really convincing um, piano and synth and all those kind of things, I can't really, uh, other than like one note guitar libraries from Native Instruments or something, can I simulate guitars? And sometimes it works. But still, if you solo the track, you'll you'll hear a repetition and 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 uh, it, it's only as good as it was sampled in. Yes. But there, it's not just that though. It's the personality of all those people involved and the dimensional aspect that you get. And then you add singer or singers on it, where you have background singers, you have a solo singer, and you add all these dimensions in. The libraries see that dimension. It's just they they get so much stuff from us programmers that we just have programmed and they're all like great and and you know some of it's really good suddenly they can't tell it's programming but still there's just this i don't know how to describe it and and i know this is a hard sell to programmers out there saying i can't afford to hire people well you're going to you're probably going to have to figure out a way if you want to get into the bigger sides of library if you're not a player and i'm i'm only a keyboard player so i'm not a guitar player I'm not a physical drummer or a physical bass player or a physical guitar player. So that means I have to either really come up with great stuff or send it to Stevie or hire somebody in Nashville to, to really play if I want real guitar that's played by an actual human being live for that particular song only, not just like a sample that they play and I used to use a bunch of stuff. And so that's a, it's just a hard thing to convince people to do, but it's been the it's been the music business for you know 70 years that's what people have been doing to record stuff in the bigger studios in nashville los angeles new york mm -hmm. austin atlanta there's real people in real studios working and not just one guy at a keyboard yeah well i think i think you don't necessarily have to break the bank to to get you know people to to, to play on your tracks you could speak a little bit probably on on you know i'm sure there's some variance to the some of the deals that you make with the, the folks that collaborate with you uh, but yeah. I mean, I'm sure that the the majority of listeners probably have someone in their life who is either an instrumentalist or or a half decent singer uh, that they wor could work out some some deal with uh, that's that doesn't involve like money up front, but rather is some kind of deal on the back end. You know, that's that's an option too, right? Um, yeah. Going to sites like SoundBetter.com and stuff, it, it's going to be expensive. You know, you're you're dealing with like professionals who do this all the time, and they're going to be able to crank it out quite you know quite fast and and, that, and there's you know there's value to that but um yeah i'm sure that a, the majority of listeners out there probably have someone in their life who could who could uh you know is, is has a half decent voice and you know it's fu the funny thing about vocals and jesse did a great video on this the other day on his channel where he was talking about how like some of these uh, the, the trends towards like vocal centric tracks are is is you know is kind of uh, a, a thing now um with licensing and it's funny because I I noticed this as well, and I've been trying to incorporate vocal elements into uh, into all the tracks that I'm doing for Artlist, um, whether it's just you know kind of messing around with samples or recording my own vocals or recording my friend Missy, who's you know a great singer. Um, it's it's funny because it, it, and this kind of depends on the genre somewhat, but I was working on some like trip hop uh, for them uh, late last year. And I wrote, like they wanted vocals like uh, for this one particular track. And I wrote all the lyrics out and I like made, uh, you know, it took me a while. It was like, it was a lot of hard work. I, I brought my friend Missy in and we recorded like, you know, two separate verses and like a chorus. And it was quite, um, it was a heavy load. And then, like the, the feedback I got back from, uh, from Artlist on my first round of feedback was like, hey, like you got to trim 
all of this, all these vocals. Like we just need like a like a catchy hook, you know. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's really funny because Jesse made the same point on his video, um, and and it's like you don't have to to you know to to write like a novel in terms of lyrics. You kind of just have to write like a catchy like a like a catchy hook is some is is all you need in in a lot of cases, especially with like hip hop and stuff like that. Um, Maybe in a more traditional singer-songwriter context, like a verse, chorus, verse, chorus kind of thing would would, would work, and that's totally fine. But um, th- all is it, all this is just to say that, like, I don't, you, you know, you don't uh, need to make a huge production of it, but just like it, it's actually quite easy to just kind of like write like a little vocal hook that could be, you know, that you could place on the on the chorus of your track. Even if you don't hire five musicians to play and you play everything else you program everything else or you play everything else maybe but you send it to one person that does something that you don't do like steve and i are are, i keep threatening him that i'm going to have him collaborate with me on on a few songs i'm ready get a second i'm going to send these songs over to him but um (laughs) but that's that all what i mainly need on those is what i don't do or can't do which is actual guitar playing right and maybe bass playing depending on this one song and maybe some some loops or something that he might think of that I haven't thought of, but uh, not a lot. Not like he has to redo the whole thing for me, but I, I just need him to fix up uh, a few parts and maybe add some more convincing guitar parts to the to the thing I've got going on. And then <clears throat> the other thing I want to say is that um, it's not as expensive as you think. You might be thinking, oh, to get a Nashville or LA type player, I'm going to pay five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or something. And guess what? That's that's been true. I've had people charge fifteen hundred dollars, right. uh, really superstar players uh, in the jazz or pop industry chart from L.A. charge fifteen hundred dollars per person to play on this one guy's album years ago. But usually in Nashville, I can get musicians from anywhere from a hundred bucks to two hundred bucks, and and they are every bit the stars that the L.A. guys were. Right. Um, and you can go to sound better and find that kind of deal too for for great players who will put give you two or three or four or five options and different instruments and all this kind of stuff vocalist um you know with vocalists it's a little different because if they're featured you're going to have to hire them on a work for higher basis and that's yes. going to be a little bit more expensive because they are getting hired once and then you can use it anywhere you want spotify licensing and you get all the money because you yeah you hire them work for hire you're buying the rights to the to the, track, the players you know? yeah the players know that too um <clears throat> and there's probably something understood with players that if it becomes a major hit that there's probably some extra payments that we talk about in Nashville, but that's a, a, a deeper subject. But um, for the most part, for what you're going to do, you you can hire people on a work for hire basis and it's not gonna break the bank. It's not gonna be that expensive. You partner with somebody, I have clients that partner with me all the time to put these out because unlike just putting these out and selling, hope you sell on CDs or hope you sell downloads, there is a possible back end that's way beyond just sales of licensing that could last for years or decades. So uh, yeah. the, the investment is a good one uh, for, especially if it helps you get into the library. And to be honest, that's what helped me get into my first library was those songs produced with great players in Nashville. There wasn't a ton of MIDI on that first one, or if there was, it was hired players that I did or players plus MIDI, but uh, it's mostly it's it's mostly the great singers or the great players that I used on those to get that first deal. Yeah, and I mean, like vocal stuff aside, I'm not. Tr- we're not. We're not trying to make the 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 case that like you have to nope. have human players on all your tracks. Like you can. You can. I, I've made some uh, really successful 
uh, tracks for you know both Motion Ray and Artlist that were totally all just like sample based or and MIDI. Um, but I think that you know I, I think it's like it's worth noting that, that any way you can sort of capture some humanity <laughs> in it. Um, yeah. Is is really really, really going to be useful? I mean, just like a, like a tiny example would just be like if I'm playing key like keys, for example. Like I'm I'm the kind of you know because I'm not a, a pianist, I'm like programming in the MIDI and I'm like you know uh, copy pasting these patterns and like making alterations to to every bar to try to like you know add some variance to it and everything like that. Like that's how I ha that's like my life, you know, when, when it comes to to trying to record piano. But then you know I humanize it. And and I tried to make it sound as at, like I actually performed it, and, I, and that takes a lot of effort. And I think it's like it's really really subtle, but it's the kind of thing that people on the other end, like you know, who are receiving your tracks for an application, they're gonna notice. Um, if you're just sending like you know, if you just whip together a track using like arcade or like you know splice loops, and there was no effort put into you know kind of make it put your unique stamp on it in some kind of way or capture some kind of like human element to it, um, then it just, you can hear that. You can hear that, you know? And, and I think that it, there's a direct correlation for me between like the effort I put in, even if it's just a completely sample-based track, like a hip hop, you know, uh, song, for example, is like it's largely just me chopping up samples, but that takes time. It's not something I can whip together in like, you know, in half an hour. It takes like usually like a, a day or two to like finish a track and then, uh, and and it's 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 a lot of it's a yeah it's it's time consuming you know so I think that there's a correlation between the effort that you put in it doesn't necessarily have to be me playing the bass or me you know doing vocals on the track but um, I'm I'm doing my best to capture something uh, unique and to put my own like uh, particular stamp on something. I just talked to a client yesterday who was mad at you. Oh yeah, why? Um, you, you just come up with tracks so simple, easily. Now, you don't. <clears throat> what you just said was what you really do, which is what nobody sees is the editing. Even when you do videos yes. where you show what you did and you show your track production, they're not seeing the hour that you put in chopping that track up and editing and everything. You kind of zoom over that part to show how, how you're doing it. I don't think people understand the amount of time that we take with productions. We, we may say we did it in four or five hours or something like that. But what that means is it might have taken actually, for me, sometimes that could mean four or five weeks because I may not have gotten back to that song the next day because of other jobs or, or things I was working on. And sometimes I like to leave time between so I can go back to a song and go, is that really sounding good? I need fresh ears. So let me wait a few days and I'll go back to that song. And I think we've got so many people just getting scalar or getting any of these MIDI loops and they're just throwing the MIDI loop in without making any changes, no velocity changes, no chord changes. Uh, and I, I that's why I quit using um, Arcade. I loved the loops and everything that it had. I just, I was depending on them and they were also starting to pop up uh, and, and maybe cause people not to download the tracks because they thought they were samples. And um, that's a big deal with libraries and with um, stuff. If you are, uh, I had a student come to me, I'll probably tell the story already, where he used a logic sample uh, and just pulled it over. And that was the main meat of the whole recording. And SoundCloud denied him uh, right. to put him on SoundCloud because someone had already used that same sample and put it up there first. Now they weren't the right the maker of that sample, but they were the first to use that sample. And then the SoundCloud engine heard it. YouTube would do the same thing. So you've got to just be super careful with samples, and you've got to um, you got to you got to put some work into editing. And 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 
I just don't think, I think most people look at what we do and think, oh, that's easy. They're just throwing tracks up and then they're just getting tracks from here. And now we've got AI tools coming out like Scalar and stuff that say, oh, you can, if you play this chord, you can play these chords. And then you just drag those chords over and you go, okay, I'm good. I've got chords. But that's not the way the, the sausage is made. Uh, that's right. That's right. And you know, it's some, it's some of this, it's like kind of my fault because like, I'm just thinking back to like the video I did about arcade, like, you know, two years ago or something where it's like, check how fast this came together. You know, it's like kind of like it, it provides some, some kind of entertainment value to see, to kind of sell it as like this really easy thing. And like, I realize that like, I'm kind of, um, you know, betraying the, the, the real process in, in when I make those kinds of uh, statements, because it, it really is like, you know, I love arcade, like I still use it, but I, I use it in a very particular way. Like I'll, I'll, I'll like print stuff down to audio and then mess with it further. And, you know, and it's like, um, I think that that's the best way to use arcade. It's like, if you're just, if it, if it feels too easy, then it's going to sound like it was too easy for the most part. Um, I think that that's the case. And, and I think that, you know, people who listen to applications all day, like, you know, the, the, the dude I was speaking to from Motion Array, I mean, he, he's going to notice, like, he's going to hear yeah. that the difference between someone who put in like eight plus hours on a track and the, and the person who just threw together some loops. So yeah, the people you know, that, that put together amazing tracks in five minutes or 10 minutes, they're, they may exist on the earth, but if they, they're one in a, thousand or a million i mean it's not not everybody is able to create tracks that quickly with that much quality and so if you watch stevie b tutorials or whoever's tutorials and you see them making this great track it didn't take the time they're showing you it took probably hours uh, of their time and even if they said it didn't they who remembers i never remember how much time i put into a piece I, people always ask me how much time does this take and you're like i don't i don't remember i mean i just i'm not in a race <clears throat> not a it's not uh, a race I, 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 lots of times I have to tell my students do not this isn't a race it's Take not a race time, yeah make something good and use a uh, program carefully and 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 uh change your chords up change your beats up change things from section to section quit just copying and pasting and copying and pasting it's it's fine to and they're learning so I allow them to do that at first but as we move on into more music theory things I have them add and and learn to grow the tracks and grow their the sections and all that kind of stuff and, and all that just takes time and, and and thought yeah you know what takes time is is because like the main that usually the like the, the 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 basic idea like the maybe the motif or like the, the hook or something like that that usually comes together very quickly for me like i'll hear it i'll be like done that's that's the magic but the time spent is all of the like just finessing the the details and and like getting the arrangement right and like coming up with all the stops and all the the interesting things along the way uh, to make it like this you know this whole journey. Um, that's that's the stuff that takes time. Uh, but usually like the, the the ideas for my tracks are very simple and they come together very quickly. So hopefully that's something that I could kind of convey in future like production videos. Uh, rather than you know trying to uh, make it a seem as though I came up with a full track in like five five minutes, which is never the case. But like sometimes an I a good idea comes together in five minutes. Sometimes. <laughs> uh, and I want to say this, and uh, and this is something we came up with yesterday, and, and it's not that I've never come up with this before, but sometimes you are just not going to be the person who can do that song or all of the parts of that song. Yeah. You might be able to fake it a little bit. But uh, eventually, you're, and, and some artists, 
just aren't the artists who produce their own music. I know that sounds weird, and some people listen to that and say, I'm never going to be that. I have to do the production because I can't afford any other way. Mm -hmm. Well, you may not find luck with your particular production style getting into the, all these places that other people are getting into just because you're not able to produce that way. Like, um, uh, I have clients and I have issues where I am not the person to do this programming. I need to have a live band cut it. It has to be cut by a live band to sound real. Yeah. Or I need to program it and then have band replay it and then I'll reprogram again. And um, it, I'm just telling you that there are clients that are going to have a type of sound that is not working for the genre that they want to create. Let's say you want to create corporate or you want to create current sounding pop music and you just don't sound current or pop and you and and that's just the way it can be and 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 that's okay you have to accept that and say listen uh i'm fine to go out and find a producer to work with or or partners to work with that are going to help me get this thing and you have to be okay with that because you are not the end all be all of of the world in music and you might need help if if those of us who are um are pros and I like to think of myself as a professional in this business readily admit that I have to have band people play on things in order to get me in libraries a lot of times even on this percussion record even though I programmed a lot there was four songs that were totally played and, and sometimes mostly written by professional drummers in Nashville so I'm 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 using them as much as I can. I am using them. Now we are partnering on things. That's another way to get people in your area or professionals you know and say, listen, I'm gonna go after this library music and, and, and really pursue this full time. I'd love for you to partner with me on these and we'll split the writers share 50-50 and we'll split any sync fees 50-50 and you sign the contracts together and everything. That's what I'm doing with these drummers. And you know, it's 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 a it's a risk. For both of us, I mean, we got to spend the time to create that music, but it's also a benefit to both of us if it takes off. And so you can yeah. think of things that way. It's not just about money. Sometimes you can work out deals with your musical partners and do things. But I'm telling you, it's going to provide a a, a different dimension to what you are presenting to these libraries and to these people who are listening. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, li library music aside, like you know, it just something that I was thinking of is like you know. Um, I mean, you could, you, I, I can't do it all. I, I want to be able to do it all. I, I mean, and you could try, um, but, uh, well, we buy all the libraries and stuff. We want to be able to do it all. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. But uh, I mean, yeah, there, you're going to find a lot of magic when you collaborate with people. We've said this so many times on previous episodes, but there's magic that happens when you collaborate with other folks who, who know it better than you. And I mean, it's like, for example, like I, I could, I could mix my own band's records if I wanted to. Uh, but I outsource that to someone who just has more experience with um, with with mixing like, you know, like band records uh, with. And I mean, it's like it, it just something different and magical happens when because I mean, like in, the, in those cases, I have a little bit of budget to hire like a professional mix engineer, someone who I know and trust. And man, those records, they just sound so much better than I could do with it. I mean, it would be something. It would be one thing if I could do it, but like I just I love outsourcing that particular project because um, you know this this guy uh, Jesse who mixes our records he's just so damn good at it and it's like if you have the budget for it man get someone who really knows what they're doing and then I of course like I sit in the studio with him and I and I, and I poach all of his ideas too. <laughs> so. Well, I could say the same thing about hiring mus musicians as hiring engineers. 
and hiring mixing people. The problem is once you get into deep into licensing, there's just it's not about the money, it's more about the time because you're just trying to crank out and then the yeah. libraries come back to you saying fix this. Or in my case, the one of the, my the main library I work with, I just give them logic files and they do the mixing. They want the files there so that they can do the main mixes and I don't have to do them anymore and I don't have to hire an engineer because the library wants to do it. That may just be the case with this one library and it works out for me because they use logic and I use logic. So it's a it's an easy send to them without having to do stems and all that kind of stuff because they basically have everything. But yeah. before I was doing that, before he, he he told me that, hey, send me some of the logic files, I'll mix it here. Um, I was having it mixed professionally and he loved those mixes. Those mixes were great, but it was that if he ever needed changes down the line, I had to go back to my mixing engineer. He had to call it up from backups. It could be a year or two years old. There yeah. was a time that it took for me to get those mixes back from my engineer, back to me, back to, to the library. And so, um, but, and that's why you do stems, but there's, if there's ever a problem, you have to go back through that whole party. But if you're, again, when you're first starting, you're trying to get that really super incredible top quality mix to show to those labels, Guess what? Those weren't my mixes, any of them that I got signed the first time. I had them mixed by a, a Grammy winning engineer in Nashville and we paid you know, him for it or he was partnered on it or whatever. But I'm telling you, uh, it's dimensional and it's using different people as part of your crew and team. And uh, it's very, very important, I think. Well, I think that's a great place to end this discussion because I I, th I think that yeah the that the what we're trying to say here is <clears throat> just to, is you know is capturing dimensionality uh, in your music, uh, whether that be through hiring somebody who can do a better job at playing guitar or bass or drums or or whatever than you can, um, or just capturing some like some some realness to to your productions. I think that it it is where things are going, um, and. Beyond that, you know, if you're working with samples, if you're working with loops, you got to put, you got to finesse those those things, man. You got to put some time into um, to being creative with them, um, and that's the only way to really stand out. Because you know, when when thousands and thousands upon thousands of other music producers are using the same tools, you know, it's like you're gonna have these applications being reviewed on the other side whether you know if you're a library or even if you're like a music label you're going to get these submissions all the time and you're going to be able to tell like you know like these people can tell they're like oh yeah that that's from splice that's from arcade or i've heard that before it's like what are what value are you adding to your music um uh, and that comes from many different approaches but i think you know we touched on on them in this episode and and uh, adding some humanity to them, adding yeah. your own unique voice and your own unique playing, that that's going to go a long way in this business. And remember, uh, you can pay for it, or you can you can partner up yeah. to do it. And there's lots of ways that don't just mean you have to pay out of pocket. You can uh, get partners that are going to pay for it because they want to be involved in the process because they think it's cool and they think it's cool that uh, the music might be in a in a TV show down the line and yeah. and they'll be part of it. So there's a lot of ex there's a lot of ways to find. Uh, partners and and people to to partner up with rather than just spending your own money out of your pocket. Yeah, absolutely. All right, excellent, cool. We'll take this, and I hope you take it out there and and uh, take this to heart because we're not saying you're not good enough, but we're just saying we're not good enough. We we all the time have to do these things as well, and so we're not preaching anything other than what we. We're practicing what we preach, and we're preaching what we're practicing. I should say. I, th so I think we're we're preaching we're preaching quality. We're preaching quality over over convenience and and time uh, and effort 
and those are things that I'm always going to come back to. Uh, those are just you know fundamental concepts for success. I think. Let me know what you guys uh, are thinking in the comments, and uh, yeah. Make sure you watch the Motion Array video on this same channel, yeah. Steve's channel, because it's going to let you know from the horse's mouth what even companies like Motion Array, which a lot of people would just call a stock music licensing company or licensing uh, place, but even they are looking for artists and this dimensionality that we're talking about and this quality. Yeah, and so. remember that they're they're like uh, part of Artlist, so you can you know it's you can apply the same things that they're saying to. Uh, the art list as well. I mean, they're looking, yeah, like you said before we start, we press record here, it's like alone from the audio team, he kept using the term artist. It's, mm -hmm. you know, a key point. He's saying artist, not... Uh, um, and when you use another singer or you use another player, you're getting more artists involved in the process. Yeah. And so you're getting their artistic uh, uh, ability in there. So you're not just having your artistic ability, but other people's. And that only magnifies and, and multiplies the, the possibility of quality and success. Yeah, that's right. Cool. All right. So fake ending number three. Um, <laughs> Psych. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. See you soon. See you next week. <laughs> Bye. It's really over. You can. Get it's really over now. Okay. All Play right. The music. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, guys. We really appreciate it. Just a reminder to check out MakeMusicIncome.com and ProductionMusicAcademy.com, and you can find us both on YouTube as well. We both post regular content there. You can find me at Stevie B Production Music Academy. And Eric's channel is called Make Music Income. We'd love to see you there. Feel free to like, share, and subscribe to our content. Also, feel free to join us in the Make Music Income Discord server. Lots of great conversation going on in there, and you can share your work and connect with other like-minded folks. It's a great community. So thanks again, and we'll see you in the next episode. Take care.